Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. All right, you lot, thank you so much for your kind words about last week's episode with Ian Holloway. This story about him and his daughters on holiday, looking at the ocean and talking about it, uh, seemed to really strike a chord, which is so lovely to see. Lots of your feedback on that. If you haven't caught it yet, do go back and listen to that one. Today's guest is another storied professional in the game of English football, and he is now one of the best pundits talking about it. I've had the pleasure of working alongside this man and I really wanted to get him on to give him the chance to talk a bit more freely than he does within those TV studio walls. Joby McEnough played football for 20 years at all five of the top levels in the English game. He was one of football's most dependable professionals. He was a captain. He played for Reading in the Premier League for a season, also for Watford, Crystal Palace and Wimbledon in the seasons before administration. He was captain of Leighton Orient when the club tragically lost their manager, Justin Edinburgh, just weeks after winning the National League. And he's now, as I say, one of the best pundits working and he's still working on that. So I wanted to hear about how he's been learning his craft and also some interesting stuff about that he's doing on the FA board. Here it is then, let's get into it. The Drop-In with Joby McEnough. All right then, Joby McEnough, thank you so much for joining us for the drop-in. It is lovely to see you. Um, we wanted to start by talking about your your work in punditry because what earlier this year you found yourself covering an FA Cup game, sitting alongside Roy Keane, Ian Wright, just bloody loving it, right? That must have been the most mad experience. You know, listen, first and foremost, I'm a huge, huge football fan. You know, yes, I, I you know, played and... and enjoyed my career but that sort of Manchester United Arsenal area for me in the Premier League was as, as good as it got loads of my friends I'm from North London are big big Arsenal fans and um, you know that was definitely one of those sort of pinchery moments you know in terms of you're there you want to obviously do your best and you've got a job to do in terms of you know being a pundit and an analysis but there was a, a couple of times my phone was blowing up you know, <laughs> all, all my powers are like oh my gosh like it's Roy Keane's on one side and, and Wrighty's on the other side and I'd worked with with Wrighty last season he was absolutely brilliant you know such a, a good guy and he's one of those people that you sort of hope are as good as they come across on the TV yeah. and I've got to say from doing this sometimes that's not always the case um, but he absolutely is, you know, an absolute, you know, diamond of a man, you know, very generous in terms of, you know, the help and letting you have your say on air, which again is not always the case, the case at yes. times uh, that you do come <laughs> across um, certain individuals. And, and Roy was absolutely brilliant, really, really funny, um, you know, particularly off screen. He's obviously very good on screen as well, but so deadpan. Um, so is it the same kind of vibe when he's so you're obviously watching the games together but that's not in the studio what is he like watching Manchester United oh uh, watching Manchester United he is exactly how you think he would be right. you know every pass that goes astray is like 
come on, how, how can he not make that pass? You know, how can he? And, you know, clearly his standards are incredibly, incredibly high. Yeah. And you look at his career, what he went on to achieve, and of course the role that he played. And I think that's why he can certainly get away with that, you know, because he was the best of the best, you know, and captain of one of clearly the best teams we've ever seen in this country. Um so he is exactly, again, what you think he is going to be, um, particularly around Manchester United. And again, I think that's what makes him a really good pundit. You know, he certainly has, you know, carved himself out uh, almost a character, you know, yes. and um, it's very, very effective. And likewise with with Wrighty, you know, I think that's the biggest thing. It's about coming in and, and being genuine and being yourself, not trying to be anybody else. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, absolutely. That was a, a real highlight for me in terms of, of this side of things so far. Yeah, because that's so soon, right? Like you're, you're effectively kind of a pinnacle status in terms of the gig and you're like 18 months in so but the, but the point is that you I don't want to fanboy you now as you were doing to these people but you are you're a really good pundit right you 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 say things clearly in a way that is helpful which quite often people just say a load of crap and they and they either do it too short or too long so it's very comfortable to be alongside you and I remember you know I think we did a few games early doors at Sky and you were still playing and you were just I don't know, just very clear and I wondered is that something you had you done a lot of practice how did you approach it? Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, first of all, thank you very much. It's obviously something, <laughs> anytime, um, anytime. I, you know, I'm incredibly grateful uh, to be doing it. The biggest lesson I suppose I've learned, especially when you're covering games that people can watch is they're seeing exactly what we're seeing. Mm. So if someone smashed one in the top corner or a defender's made a horrendous mistake, we know that. The commentator's probably already said that. For us, it's, or for me personally, it's about the how and the why. You know, why did that player get in? Was it his movement? Why was it a brilliant finish? Was it his technique? You know, so just trying to get a little bit deeper than probably what people see on the screen and help them understand the game better, certainly from sitting at home, watching it and also making it fun and enjoyable. And again, that's probably the biggest thing I've learned when I first started. I probably was a little bit too regimented and not wanting to get anything wrong and a little bit straight. Do you think that comes a bit from football? Because I sometimes think that recent players, they're so used to being slightly paranoid. Having about... a guard up. Yeah. Absolutely. Every time we do press, you know, you don't want to say something, you know, that's going to come back and bite you. It might be something against the other team. Yeah. You know, it might be something against the team you're coming up against, a performance. And there is definitely that shield that has to go up when you are a player. And I definitely, definitely felt that in my first year. And that was a lot of the feedback I would get. You know, and I'm all for feedback. You know, I'm always used to going in on a Monday morning after I've played a game. I want to know what I did well, what I didn't do well. And exactly the same. I speak to producers, I speak to directors, people around this industry. You know, what can I do to be better? You know, and that has been certainly something I've tried to take on certainly this year. And I think the longer you're out of the game, you know, and that might be criticising, I suppose. But I wouldn't class it as criticising, highlighting an error. Yeah. You know, I've had players ring me up after games. Have you? Oh, absolutely, yeah. Anyone, do you want to tell us anyone? Um, I will say it was a defender. I was doing a championship game and Alexandra Mitrovic was at the time scoring goals for fun. Uh, this defender in particular just switched off for, I'm talking, half a second. So again, I know this guy well. I played with him. And I'll always at least try and give them the benefit of the doubt to say, look, this is uncharacteristic, if it is. Un and in this case, it absolutely was. Switches off for a split second. And against that calibre of opposition, you cannot get away with it. Now, again, for me, everyone can see at home that Mitrovic has scored that goal. I now need to tell them why. why? 
And the main reason was is because the defender switched off for half a second. He's ball watching. Just as he's looking at the ball, Mitrovic runs on the blind side of him, gets in, scores the goal. So I'm doing my job as a pundit now to let somebody know why that goal's occurred. So I get a message after the game. Cheers for hanging me out. On, ah. Yeah. And I said, well, I'm not hanging you out. I'm describing how some team... And again, where I have played with him, and again, I was captain of, of teams. And I just said to him, listen, what would I have said to you in the dressing room nice. if that had happened? He said, yeah, you would have given me a going over. Huh. So I said, well, there you go. It's no different. I'm not doing it for the sake of it. You know, I'm not certainly, I think anyone who's watched my punditry, I'm not just going to go after players for the sake of it. But I do have a job to do. And if that means calling out a mistake. And likewise, if he went up and scored a goal from a corner and it was a brilliant header, I would have said it was a brilliant header. So it's just trying to get that balance across. And I think that, I think people understand that in the end. You're, of course, captain at Reading. And uh, you, Brian McDermott said uh, when you won the Tom Finney Award, he was saying that all the younger guys were comfortable and would come and talk to you. So it's you're speaking about that kind of relationship as well here, I think. How, how, how did you approach that? How did you come to build that kind of confidence in the people around you? Well, it came from having a fantastic group of, of senior pros when I, I came for at Wimbledon. Um, it was sort of like the tail end of the crazy gang time. So again, as a kid, you know, particularly before I sort of got in the youth team, we'd obviously be in and around the training ground every now and again. And, you know, that was, yeah, you know, you'd see clothes being thrown out the window on fire. You know, you'd see oh cars God. getting covered in shaving foam and all sorts of stuff going on and then again you're then all of a sudden as an apprentice in and around guys like that you know Neil Ardley you know Robbie Earl I mean the list goes on Kenny Cunningham was my first he's brilliant brilliant captain Cole Lieburn everybody Gareth Ainsworth and they were so good with us as young pros because there was a, a real demand on us to every time we stepped up whether it was just training or if we came into that first team situation to make sure our standards were absolutely through the roof. But there was a way of doing that. It wasn't sort of which you can get. And I certainly had, again, as a kid, almost like a blame if the pass goes astray or the cross isn't, why are you not crossing the ball? Like, Duh. And it was more of a, come on, come on, Joby, you're better than that. you know. And you then want to get to that level and you know that every now and again when you do get dug out, which absolutely is part of the game as a young player and you have to be able to take that on the chin, it's not for any other reason other than they want you to be better and they want you to come and help the team win a game of football. So it always came from a good place and I always then tried to take that on in my career because I knew how important that was for me in terms of my confidence and my self-belief. If I did make a mistake, there'd be people there to try and help me and, and back me up. And I always, as I went through my career, sort of remembered that period and how important it was for me and tried to be a sounding board, tried to be somebody that those younger players could come and, and speak to and, yeah, get a little bit of confidence. But at the same time, if they weren't quite at it, make sure I was there to, to pull them up. And I think you get the respect then from people when you, you do it that way. So how do you convey that? Is it as simple as telling them, you know, I, I want you to do the best? Is it is it like that there's or is all, it kind of the way you carry yourself and the way you... I think there's all different everyone? types. And again, I think that's when you look at leadership, I would say, not necessarily just being a captain. You know, I think we kind of pass in that phase now of, you know, that stereotypical Terry Butcher, John Terry type of Stephen Gerrard, you know, one man army kind of job. And they're now the best teams have multiple leaders and for me it's about identifying what that individual needs because that's the thing that people don't understand it's same with management mm. you've got a group of 25 players every single one of those players is different everyone takes information on differently some can react to a little bit more of a firmer g up 
some need an arm around the shoulder. You know, it's about you identifying those characteristics in that group, understanding how to get the best out of those individuals to then come together and collectively make a really, really strong team. So again, that takes a bit of time. It takes a bit of understanding, you know, but I think being approachable and open is, is probably the best thing. And also just being honest with people, you know, and, and not sort of saying one thing to one person and going to say something else to some, which again, in this game, you get a lot of, you know, whether it's management, coaching, players. Um, and I think just being pretty direct. And that's something that's really helped in this. I'm not doing anything different now. Going back to that prime example yeah. of what I would have done as a, as a player. So it's about integrity, basically. I would say so. Again, I think you get found out coming back to this game. You know, I could never, and when I moved into punditry, and again, listen, there's various different outlets, there's different things that people are hoping to get, you know, from a conversation, you know, from an interview, from pundits. And I could never go and say something I genuinely didn't believe in. From the very, very start, I want to be considered to be a serious pundit. You know, I want people to go, actually, yeah, he knows what he's talking about. Mm. You know, he's done his prep, he's done his research. I got told, well, you know, if you're good, if you get a call back mm. or if you've done a good job. Yeah. If you don't, you obviously didn't do very well. <laughs> so there's a few people that haven't called me back. That if you are out there, that's fine. Uh, yeah, but maybe I wasn't what they're looking for. And again, that's understanding. Listen, you're not going to be everybody's cup of tea mm. for every little thing out there. Um, it's just about trying to develop, you know, yourself, give yourself multiple um, opportunities to, to go and work, really. I want to talk more about your playing career, but I think it feels like we've come on more actually to the short stint that you did as, a, as an interim manager at, at Leighton Orient. Now, this was a kind of... Uh, well, off the back of a terrible time at the club. Well, an amazing time. Yeah. And then this the most depths yeah. of, of experience where, where your manager, Justin Edinburgh, passed away just after you'd been promoted back out of the National League. I mean, I don't even really know where to start with that because he was such an important man yeah. to the club and to you personally, I think. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Justin, you know, was with what I needed I think at that time you know an old school almost mentality but very much modern day approach and understanding of dressing room dynamics and you know he's got two um, kids uh, Charlie and Sydney who I really think helped him to be in tune with you know what what kids want this day and age you know but at the same time there was a huge I suppose demand again I, it took me back to you know, certainly starting out in my career and, and those principles, you know, that he lived by in terms of the hard work, the togetherness, commitment that you have to absolutely make to your football club if you want to go and achieve something. And without that, you can't be successful. So the minute he came in, I thought, right, great, we're on the right track here. You know, we will get to where we want to get to after sort of losing our way a little bit. You know, I'd been a part of that club, certainly on the downward uh, trend, getting relegated um, and then coming back to it, it was you know, just a little bit lost, I would say, the football club. And he really galvanised every single person, you know, from ownership throughout the club, playing staff, people around the football club, working there to the fans. You know, everybody was on the same page. And like you say, it was almost, yeah, it's the biggest high you can ever have, you know, winning a league, achieving that goal, which very, very few seasons in people's career, unless you're playing for Man City or maybe Barcelona in their pomp, can say year after year, we are going to be there. We're going to be at the top of that that league. And it was, again, anyone who's been promoted or you're a fan of a club, like that summer period is the best period. You know, it is like you've got all that joy of what's already happened and then the anticipation of what's to come, you know, getting back in the league and 
you know, from our point of view, just absolutely, you're just walking on air really, you know, and then I remember receiving the phone call um, that he'd had the cardiac arrest because Justin was Justin and he was honestly like so full of life, full of energy. If you saw him in a gym after a session, you know, he's the fittest one in there, you know, he's, he's going the longest and, you know, to hear that news that, you know, he'd suffered a cardiac arrest. Honestly, my first, first thought was, all right, fine, but he'll, he'll get through it. You know, we didn't have a load of information at that time. It was very much just being informed because it had happened. And I remember speaking to the physio and then he gave me a lot deeper understanding of the severity of the incident itself. And um, again, at that point, I was probably privy to a a lot more information than a lot of the lads so I had obviously all those guys you know messaging me what's happening with Gaffer like and I've got to kind of keep that away from them a little bit at that time in terms of respecting obviously Charlie, Sydney and, and Kerry and all the family's wishes and um, yeah there was a real period of, of limbo really um, obviously the longer it went on mm. with not a lot of news we obviously all felt that it, it wasn't going in the direction that we'd all been hoping and, and praying for and then to finally get the news you know that he'd, he'd passed away was like it was honestly you know going from the highest and highest of highs to it's as low as I felt not just in my career but you know in my life you know I've been very fortunate you know mum and dad are still here you know yes I've lost grandparents um you know but up until that point I hadn't lost a lot of people like really close to me and again when you're a captain you are extra close to the manager you know, and particularly because we co we connected on a level outside of just playing football. You know, we got on really well personally. He was absolutely massive in terms of getting the families together. You know, every every year it'd be like Easter eggs. You know, Christmas. He took things into account that yeah, you are a footballer for Leighton Orient, but you're also a dad. You know, you're a son, you're a brother. You are. You know, you do have a world outside of this, and that is, I think, why the boys sort of really um, connected with Just, and certainly that's a big reason I did. And yeah, it was just a real, real difficult time. And then on the back of that, we had, right, we've got a season to prepare for now, you know, which again, for everybody at the football club was so far down the list of priorities and yeah. thought processes. But at the same time, at the back of it, and this is where the family have been absolutely incredible. Listen, he's worked his absolute socks off as everybody else has is to get this club back in the league. And he would not want everything to just go back down the pan, you know, and there was always that, you know, Charlie came in, spoke to the players you know it was incredible the strength that he's shown personally and also the rest of the family is something that we could then take a bit of strength from of course to this day he's got a stand you know rightfully named after him is his um boy charlie and, and the family have started the j3 foundation which is again about raising awareness education around cardiac arrest getting into schools you know public spaces to teach cpr trying to get defibs, which is another big, big part of it now, into leisure centres. So for anyone listening at the time, um, it wasn't legislation to have a defib in, for example, a gym, which is where Justin suffered his cardiac arrest, which I found, it, it blew my Shit, mind. Shit, I didn't realise that. It blew my mind. Because right. there was a lot of talk about this when Fabri's mum, yes. of course. Yeah, that's a big part of what we're doing. I'm a trustee of the foundation and, and trying to drive, you know, change and try and create that bit of, of legislation to make sure that certainly public spaces and leisure facilities in particular you know by law have to have a defib because the chances of survival with a defib are absolutely night and day than basically without one and it's basically how quick you can kick that heart going and get it going again and um, unfortunately he didn't have access to one and that is ultimately um, a big reason and part of why he's not here.
I just say that it's been an honour to lead this group of players, staff, and the board of directors, and everyone connected with the football club. Okay, because for me, when I come in here, this club was going one way, and that was into the conference south. Remember, enjoy tonight and tomorrow <laughs> and Monday <laughs> and Tuesday. <laughs> when we get at that airport. <laughs> So that's really important to you to be involved in that. And of course, you were a leader the whole time for the club um, as captain and then going on to take over as boss, like not that many months later. How on, how on earth did you manage that? And and how, how were you supported as well? Because it sounds to me hearing you talk like you're someone who maybe takes a lot on and you're the guy that people come to. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I've got to say I've got to give huge credit. So Ross Embleton, who was the assistant at the time, he sort of stepped up to to manage, um, and it was an incredibly brave decision by him at that point because with everything else going on, his first job as a manager, you know, off the back of that, and it's probably, if I'm being honest, an impossible task at the time. But what he did do was a brilliant job of stabilising the football club and giving the players you know, an opportunity to come in and a framework to work from. And it's a really conflicting time because you are literally like, right, I've got to win a game on Saturday, but you might still be feeling really low. You know, there might be a video flashes up adjusting. There might be, you know, a ground that we've gone to. And every time you came to the stadium, definitely, even to the day I left, you know, you think of Justin, you know, that's where he went to work, man. You know, in that dressing room, you know, some of the speeches, the motivation, you know, the, the joyous times we had winning the, or drawing the last game, but to get promotion, we had that there. So the fact that he's not there, this thing doesn't just stop, you know, because he's now no longer with us. And I think by the time it came to my opportunity to, to be manager, I did want to do, obviously, Justin justice and so many things that I learned from him, even at that late stage of my career that I would take into my first role as a, as a manager. Um, and he was in the forefront of everything we did. We didn't ever shy away from that. You know, he brought in, you know, some qualities, some ways of doing things that I absolutely, you know, hand on heart believe in. And there's no reason I wouldn't have taken him into what I would do. Um, and yeah, it was, it was strange. It was really strange standing there on the sideline. And actually, until you get in there yourself and you do it, you've got no idea. No idea. I've got such a greater appreciation I think of the pressures around management now and I only did it for 16 games but that insight is absolutely invaluable I might have had the best week's prep ever which we did I had a brilliant staff with me so we're going into games we could not have done any more that week you know we've we've done the analysis on the opposition we've set our team up exactly how we want and we go into a game prime example my first game we win one nil away from home Grimsby brilliant that's a always the one you want to tick off that first get it done quick 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 second game we go to Exeter who were flying at the time within a few minutes the goalkeeper who's absolutely outstanding by the way the whole time I've ever known him at this football club Lawrence Figaro brilliant brilliant goalkeeper shouldn't be anywhere near that level yeah amazing one squirms through his legs right so then I'm looking around and you're like this is this is the real difficulty with management. That's nothing to do with me. 
or my staff or the fact we haven't prepared. That's just a player making a mistake, which again happens. And he's been absolutely outstanding in 99% of the games he's ever played for Leighton Orient, right? And then we go and let in a second one. And then before you know it, the game's over, it's done. And then you then have to stand there and try and explain why you've lost the game of football. And you can't obviously throw players under the bus, especially early doors, you know. And I think that is the real difficulty. As a player, even at 2-0 down in that example, I would feel I'd be able to do something. I can get us back in this. I can get the guys going. I can, because you're actually on the pitch. For management, where there's a real sense of helplessness, and of helplessness, obviously you can affect substitutions, you can affect shape, you can, but you're not actually out there on the football pitch, and that is where it can be such a lonely place at times. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. This episode of the Football Ramble is sponsored by BetterHelp. Life throws many different challenges at us, and as a result, we all have our own sources of stress. Whether big or small, those stresses can impact our lives in unpredictable ways, and if we don't address them, they can have an outsized and unwanted impact. Therapy is a safe place in which we can address these issues, learn to understand them, and find ways to work through them. Having therapy can be beneficial to anybody, not just people who've experienced major traumas, even if you may have not considered it before. It could be simply a time for you to get things off your chest, a way to learn positive coping skills or how to set boundaries. Ultimately, it can be whatever you need it to be. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. All you have to do is fill out a brief questionnaire and BetterHelp will match you to a licensed therapist. You can even switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com forward slash ramble today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com forward slash ramble. Right, so we've been to some through some highs down some real lows um let's get back up to some highs as well um talking about somewhere else that you were captain getting promoted to the the premier league with reading what an incredible season that must have been we i, I think it's so interesting talking to you because of course you've played in all five of the top levels of english football was that the most extreme difference the championship season into the premier league 
Um, yes and no. Um, in terms of everything that comes around the Premier League, I think for me particularly and my journey to get there, you know, I missed out on four playoffs, two semis, two finals. I was probably at an age where I thought that I'd lost the opportunity to go and play in the Premier League. And listen, it's what every player wants to do, you know, when you're playing in this country um, and around the world, really. It is the best league in the world for a reason. So having lost the playoff final the year before and actually really thinking that might be, you know, that was the toughest summer from a footballing point of view to, to pick myself back up, you know, and sort of think, oh, you know, can can I go through the ringer again? Mm. You know, obviously the captaincy came on the back of that and that was a huge motivation for me, you know, to sort of get my ass into gear really and sort of, again, maybe just assume that position and, and take that leadership role on, which I do really, really enjoy. Um, so obviously Brian McDermott, you know, approached me and he said, look, this is what I think we need and I think you'd be great. What do you think? I have a couple of days to think about it. And I said, no, I don't need a couple of days. I remember I went and had one conversation actually with Andy Griffin, who had been with us and senior pro, someone I respected an awful lot. He's at Stoke for a long time. So he came to, to Reading and I just said, what do you think, Griff? And he said, yeah, but he was a man of few words. He said, yeah, absolutely the right man. You're going to smash it, mate. And I was like, right, great. So I went back to Brian, like, yeah, cool. And I think, again, it come back from having that respect from the group, even, you know, though I wasn't captain before. I certainly felt I had a, a leadership role at the football club. So it was a quite a natural move. And then it was about getting over that disappointment from the previous year. It was a bit of a sluggish start, I suppose, to the season. Um, and then we just got on a, a real roll and, and really came from nowhere. And by the time the, the end of the season came, we just had the momentum that just couldn't be stopped. And then all of a sudden, you're now in the, in the Premier League. So again, to to go from all those lows of, of missing out, um, to actually get in there and then all of a sudden you're walking out at, you know, Old Trafford and Manchester City and Liverpool and, you know, to lead the teams out especially was, um, you know, a real highlight, not only, you know, having worked so hard to get there, but to have that extra privilege of, you know, being the first man out and um, everything in the Premier Leagues is everything on steroids, man. You know what I mean? It's like the exposure you get, um, you know, the grounds that you're playing at. Um, and it was a bit surreal at times. I suppose one of my biggest regrets and disappointments in my career is it was only the one season and we just didn't do enough. We weren't good enough that season. And that's a load of factors behind that, whether it's recruitment, whether it's us that were out on the pitch. I felt we needed a little bit more of what I would class as Premier League experience just to help us, you know, particularly early on to, to really establish ourselves in the league and, and get off to a good start, which we did. And it was a struggle uh, from a footballing point of view, but an absolutely amazing experience of, of actually getting there with a, a real good group of players and, you know, a good set of fans and a, again, a manager who, you know, all the boys absolutely believed in, you know, and I think that year we got a few hide-ins, obviously. <laughs> and sometimes you just walk off the pitch, you're like, there's actually nothing we could have done. You know, we were well organised, we set up well, and then someone just smashes one in from 30 yards that you will not get in a championship or below. Right. You know, it's just that increase in quality. Likewise, you make that one mistake, you slip, you switch off for a split second and having been doing and some so well. some pundit is laying into you. And then someone's laying into you. There you go. I didn't send any messages out that year, I don't think. Um, flip that down to National League. And the common denominator of that is, you know, yes, you know, a hell of a lot of a, a levels below. 
but a great team togetherness, a great team spirit. And I find that the lower down you get almost the more real football is, mm. you know, in a sense that you look at the Premier League level and players aren't accessible. You know, they are so insulated in terms of and wrapped up in that bubble of, of Premier League football, whereas you come down a little bit and all of a sudden, you know, that fan that follows you up to, let's call it Barrow for us at Leighton Orient, right? Not the most, and I say this with the greatest respect to, to Barrow fans, a hell of a trek from London, yeah? But you have those same fans that if you're Manchester United are making the, the trips to wherever they're going to more glamorous places. But now you've got fans on a Tuesday, you know, making that journey and sometimes just actually going over to them, having a conversation, you know, showing them that you appreciate their effort is absolutely massive, you know, and, and I got a greater sense of that sort of the lower I dropped down and a greater appreciation probably of the effort that fans make because mm. again, it's easy to support Arsenal or Spurs. You're going to Spurs. You know, you're a Spurs fan. I know you well, it's easy-ish. I mean, the stadium's not very accessible from the tube. But... That's probably not a good, good example. Yeah. Um, it's quite painful, some of the football yeah, we're watching. But the, yeah. the more glamorous sides yeah, that, that win things, it is, it is. you know, and the stadiums you're going, the type of football, the players that you're watching, you're not getting that in League Two with the greatest respect. And yeah. again, I've played in it, you know, and it doesn't mean they're not as hardworking, you know, doesn't mean the fans are not making more of, a, of an effort probably you know so that was great for me and it is part of my journey that I hold incredibly dear because I've seen it all you know from Premier League down to that National League level um, and I feel I've got a great understanding of, of the game at all levels because of that you know because I've actually I've, I've played it I've lived it. Who's the toughest fullback you've come up against would you say? Uh, there's two the season that we went up I would say uh, Carl Walker absolutely huh. um, machine yeah. I mean you look at him now still um, absolutely everything you know from a, a physical point of view the pace the power um, with the ball technically you know incredibly accomplished that was a day where you're like it's going to be a long day at the office man do you know what I mean and I remember at the time playing with Ian Hart who was coming towards the end of his career wasn't the most mobile of players. And I remember the gaffer pulled me before the game and he just said, don't worry about getting forward today. You're going to do a bit of work defensively. And it's like, as a winger, you're going out onto the pitch thinking, what? Like, I'm basically playing left back here. Do you know what I mean? So it's him and Aaron Lennon. I think Bale was on the other side. And, and they're the moments that you just go, well, this is, yeah, this is, it's great that you've got there, but could probably do about this today. Do you know what I mean? So he was amazing. And at the time, Zabaleta was absolute top of his game again from a defensive point of view um brilliant so hard to beat 1v1 you know his his knowledge and his intuition in terms of from a defensive point of view um absolutely top top draw so in terms of positionally i'd say they were the two sort of toughest opponents that mm. season the really cool thing about you sorry to references again but in terms of you as a pundit is you have this like joy the slightly like fan joy of the thought that you've been out there and you're obviously a person who's played football at the highest po possible level but you're still you're really communicating it but you to know me. What? I almost feel like I've gone up against Carl Walker yeah but you know what Kate I honestly when you talk about what makes a good pundit or you know commentator and again I've been very fortunate this season to work with with Ali McCoyst Right, and I think he's as good what as it alleged. gets for yeah. co-commentary because, and the, the point I'd make about Ali is, no matter what game he's doing, when I'm listening to him, I get that excitement. I get that joy that he's sitting there. If it's a World Cup semi-final or final, or if it's an FA Cup game between Sheffield United and Blackburn, you know, for him, 
he sounds like it's the biggest game of his life. And I get an enjoyment from listening to that because I love watching football. So again, contrast that to some pundits and maybe co-commentators where it's almost like, oh, I'm just here because, you know, somebody's asked me to come into the shooter. I don't want to hear that. I want to hear a passion. I want to hear an excitement. I love the game. Hopefully that comes across in in my work. And, um, you know, I think for me that makes you certainly a bit more... Um, I say attractive, but but nicer to listen to. You know, when you've got that sense that somebody actually really loves watching football or listening to it or or giving their opinion on it. You say attractive, that reminds me. What happens? <laughs> what's the first thing that comes up on Google when you Google Joby McEnough? You know how it's like Joby McEnough and then something. Well, probably my full name, which uh, is not no, actually you're skating Joby. over the. No, year. I don't know. I don't Wikipedia myself. The first myself. thing that comes up is Joby McEnough eyes. Oh wow! Really? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that uh, mad? <laughs> People like, yeah, don't worry about the career, past or present, just uh, Joey McEnough eyes. Well, at least it's not grey hair, which I will take <laughs> that all day long because that's what I get a lot of stick for uh, these days. Yeah, really. I mean, well, you're getting on a bit, aren't you? So, you know. So I keep getting told, actually. At least it's all still there, pretty much. From what yeah, I can tell. no problem with the amount, just the colour. But listen, you got to, you got to rock it, man. Um, speaking about the last couple of bits about your kind of former clubs as well, thinking about Reading and Watford, thinking about management and the way that they're just like ripping through managers at the moment. Yeah. Uh, what, what do you make of that? How do you cope with that as a player? What happens next? Ridiculous, particularly in Watford's point of view. Um, you know, the rate at which they go through managers, it just creates, um, you know, an unstable environment. Players then absolutely the one thing you cannot give a player uh to, to get out of a poor performance is an excuse and I think that's exactly what it does um you know I think those players know that after a bad run that manager's not going to be there so the ability then to sort of say right well if we don't quite like him um you know he'll be gone before me put it that way um and I just think it, again for the fans there's no real identity at that football club now you know I go back to my time there AD Boothroyd everyone knew what Watford were under AD you know, and listen, it wasn't always the most enjoyable football to play in. Um, but I knew my job. I knew what everyone else in the team was there to do. And it became very, very effective. And I think that's a big part of the game that with the change in management so frequent, not just at Watford, but around football in general, it's very hard to create that identity and, and that philosophy throughout a football club because it takes time. Time is not something that's given. Um, Reading, slightly different in the sense that, you know, they've got a lot of off-field issues. Yeah, Watford's obviously an extreme at, case. At but the yeah. moment. Um, and again, I think it's just, you know, for me, sad to see because that then starts going into the sustainability and, and how football clubs are run. And clearly that hasn't been a very well run football club of late. Um, and I just hope that they can sort it out enough that it's not going to impact them too much and, and end in relegation. Mm, okay. Um, something else you're involved with on a kind of leadership perspective is uh, that you are, I feel like I should curtsy, you're a, you're a, you're a non-executive director of the FA. Yeah. So... You, you, Jeremy McEnough, run don't English sound football. So surprised. You just run it. You just run it all. That's well, I don't because I'm now starting to get people peppering <laughs> me when something doesn't quite go right, aren't you? Um, no, listen, that was again an opportunity. Um, and one thing this side of work does give you is a little bit more time for another thing, another mm. interest, another whatever you want to call it. Um, also, it's fascinating, I mean, to know things about. Honestly, Kate, some of the things that I've learned in nearly a year now you know my lens the way I've looked at football has always been very much in and around a football pitch you know from playing as a kid 
you know, playing as a professional, management, coaching, it's what happens on a Saturday or leading that into a week. This is the game as a whole. It's a huge, huge um, amount that the FA covers in terms of the game in this country. And it's been really fascinating to get a perspective from the other side of it, of course, to be involved in, you know, some of the conversations, some of the real issues in the, in the game at the moment. Um, it's, a, it's a learning process for me, um, absolutely. And I'm really enjoying that challenge. I've always been open to, to taking new information on and, and trying to improve different facets of, of myself. Um, but yeah, it's been really, really interesting. I'm hoping that I can bring a bit of, we go back to the word insight, mm. but in terms of, you know, from a playing point of view, coaching, management, having a lot of contacts within the game in terms of things that are actually happening today and being able to take that into a boardroom, for example, and and maybe give them a different way of thinking in terms of from their own experiences and likewise for me to take on board things that I've never experienced. So, um, yeah, enjoying the challenge. Because um, it'd be more like people who've done office jobs as well, right? Yeah, we have a real mix of, of people from, from different backgrounds, you know, particularly on the board, um, different areas of expertise. You know, we have, it's made up of, of members from the national game, um, which is basically anything below League Two, so National League, grassroots, women's game, of course, professional game, um, obviously various stakeholders, EFL, Premier League as well. So loads of different dynamics and um, yeah, been a, a real interesting period so far. Mm -hmm. This might be, uh, I don't know if this is how sensitive this is, but can I ask, do, do you find you get called on to cover quite a lot of the kind of racism stuff? Do you feel... Um, like you're equipped to do that? Do you feel like that's not something you want to, you want to, like, why no, should no, you no, particularly... Listen, no, no, absolutely. That's something I'm incredibly passionate about. Right. And it's something that, you know, has it's affected me. It's affected, you know, again, if we're talking about just the game, but for me, it's society is a wider issue. And again, as there's such a spotlight on football, of course, and I do feel we can be a huge... Um, sort of power in terms of dealing with certain issues because there is such a spotlight on the game in this country. Um, and I'm always very willing to, you know, put my opinion across or again, reach out to people in the game, particularly around this area, you know, for people that is affecting and again, be able to take that into a room where maybe people haven't experienced, you know, what somebody else is going through or maybe your reaction to something that's happened. And again, I've got to say that they've been incredibly um open um and appreciative of that you know and i think in terms of you know where we are at the moment we've got a fantastic chair in debbie hewitt um who really wants to take things forward and also mark bullen and the ceo again um you know someone who's doing some fantastic work which doesn't often uh get publicized um but again my experience so far has been completely positive okay cool it's really interesting to hear about because as you say like this is not something that your average person knows anything about and maybe that's part of the challenge yeah people absolutely. just think it's sort of serious honchos sitting in a corner yeah eating canapes or whatever i don't yeah, know yeah but i, I think probably most boardrooms would probably be that i suppose <laughs> i think the different dynamic we have is we are the football association yeah. so having a bit of football insight you know and an experience around that table is absolutely important and again that's something debbie recognized really early in her tenure which is still very young um, and wanting that, you know, and I think that's the, the most important thing because like with everything in life, we don't all know everything about everything. And actually the more people we can get around with different experiences um, is certainly going to help in that. 
What's next for you, Joey? So the plan, the, the ongoing plan to become the best pundit in the world. <laughs> I don't think, I think you shouldn't shy away from it. I think it's cool. It was really cool to hear you say, like, I want to be, I want to be a serious pundit. This is what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to be the best person I can at this job. I just want to be someone who, yeah, when I go on air, you know, when I'm working, people can listen to, watch and actually enjoy watching, you know, and, and try and bring, um, a little bit extra maybe again if, if we're doing prep on a team before a game you could look at again a lot of the stuff I've done so far as EFL Burnley are top of the table anyone can see that you know it might be a goal scorer he scored 22 goals anybody can go on Google these days and but why you know can I give them a little bit extra that they might be switching on for the first time there's no point doing things half and half you know I'm, I'm certainly not a believer in that you know it's very much all or nothing so um, yeah we'll keep cracking on was it has it replaced no how can i was going to ask no it's I, I know exactly what you mean um and in some aspects yes um because i still get to go to a ground which is absolutely buzzing and get that kick of adrenaline when a team scores and and you're in the middle of it just in a different way you are yeah and the nice thing is as much as i try and be as good as i can for those teams that are watching when you haven't got that personal attachment this is what people don't quite understand sometimes when you're playing like your whole life your whole psyche is dictated by whether you've won or lost a game so it's a very much by definition we use the word roller coaster but up and down you know the mood around the training ground if you've won on a Saturday on a Monday is completely different you know to how it would be if you've lost you know and again who can handle those emotions are probably the people that have the greatest longevity um, and also dealing with that is tough at times you know where not just for yourself but people's families you know people around you I was terrible before I had kids and that gave me a completely different perspective like my missus won't be able to be anywhere near me for a couple of days after I've lost the game because you take things personal again when you're a captain even more so when you're a manager even more so you know it is like goes up in levels so it's been nice that I've been able to have that involvement in match days but then not take that home with me well, thanks for dealing with the roller coaster of the drop-in as, <laughs> as an alternative to banging in free kicks. But um, it's been wicked to chat to you, JB. Thanks so much. Thank you very much for having me, Kate. Cheers. I always love those kinds of conversations where we're just having a chat, like it could be any kind of chat that we're having normally, but we've just got the mics on and I hope it came across like that. He's such an interesting guy, isn't he? And we'd really love to hear what you thought about that one. Uh, on Twitter, we're at Football Ramble and you can find me on Twitter and on Instagram at KVL Mason. We'll be back with a new episode very soon. See you then. The Football Ramble is a Stack production and part of the Acast Creator Network. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.